All right, welcome everybody to another edition, our third, our third weekly edition. Is that right? Third? Uh, Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, in which our panel of Legal Tech journalists discusses the week's top stories in tech and innovation. I'm Bob Ambrogi, publisher of the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next. And uh, our panel this week consists of these people you see in front of you right now. <laughs> uh, and we can all go around and introduce ourselves real quickly. Uh, Joe, how about you? Uh, yeah, um, Joe Patrice from Above the Law. And I guess if we're naming podcasts, the uh, Thinking Like a Lawyer and the, right now anyway, the Above the Law COVID cast, which is our uh, repository for COVID and the law news. Uh, Caroline. Hi, Caroline Hill, editor of Legal IT Insider, aka The Orange Rag, um, and uh, using one of my children's headsets, which makes me sound like I'm doing heavy breathing, apparently. So apologies <laughs> for any noise interference. And <laughs> uh, Molly. Hi, Molly McDonough, uh, longtime legal affairs editor and, and writer. I write uh, right now at a blog called A Just Society that I'm building, and excited to be here. And last but not least, Nikki. Nikki Black, I am the legal technology evangelist with my case practice management software. And I frequently write about legal tech issues on uh, ABA Journal, Above the Law, I have a daily record column, and um, the My Case blog as well. And uh, if you've watched this before, you know that Zach Warren has been part of this panel uh, as well from Legal Tech News. He is not uh, able to be with us today because he actually has to work, I guess, which is, I don't understand doing that on a Friday afternoon. But. Yeah, no, it, it's surprising. He has to work on the Friday of a three-day weekend. No kidding. Right. It doesn't There's no, nothing suspicious about that at all. Yeah. And uh, for those of you watching this on Zoom, go ahead and... Uh, ask us questions. We will be watching that. And uh, I think we are, I think we are also broadcasting on Facebook Live, as I understand it. Uh, and uh, you can try and message us there as well. So um, first off, I was actually going to start off with a, a sort of a correction to something I said last week, because we, when we were talking uh, last week about, uh, um, actually, it was Zach's story, I think we were talking about legal tech in India. And uh, I made a comment about uh, legal tech in Russia, where I said that uh, my understanding was that most of the uh, legal tech companies there had some sort of government funding. Well, of course, we had somebody from Russia in the audience who was quick to uh, email me and tell me I got that wrong, that in fact, most of the, most of the investment in legal tech in Russia comes from private investment. There is some government funding there. Um, and uh, that, that came from Holger Chaiga, who's a, a legal tech, kind of a journalist, uh, entrepreneur, uh, conference organizer in, in, in Moscow. Uh, and he also pointed out something else interesting in, in, in relating to some of the stuff we were talking about last week, and I'm sure we'll be talking about again today, which is uh, that the courts in Russia have actually had video conferencing capabilities for a number of years. Uh, they primarily use a, uh, a uh, they operate on a tech platform uh, developed by this company, Pravo.ru, or uh, in the United States, they do business as case.one. 
Uh, and uh, it's had video conferencing built in for years. So when, when Russian judges had to start working from home, uh, it was uh, a much more seamless transition. So there we go. Uh, uh, it, Holger, I invited Holger to come onto the show at some point and, and uh, share a little bit of his insights about Russia at some point, but he's not with us today because he is also enjoying a long weekend, I guess. Uh, I mean, I don't Memorial. think they have Memorial Day. They don't have Day Memorial Day. Day. No, there was, <laughs> but there is some other holiday in Europe, right? Okay. Caroline would know, but I don't know. I'm so confused by European holidays. You're muted, Caroline. Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got a three-day weekend too. It's okay. quite unusual that we share long holidays. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so who wants to go first? Uh, Nikki, how about you? I don't, I don't think you've gone first yet in our roundup here. Well, something that really interested me, um, it was a law.com article. Um, I, I'm in Rochester, New York, so I'm a New York attorney. So I am always attuned to and interested in what's happening in New York. And there was legislation introduced this month in the state assembly that would repeal judiciary law section 470. What does that mean? Um, it's basically this requirement that in order to be, uh, uh, be licensed in New York and practice in New York, you have to have an office in New York. Um, and th this has been hotly debated in, in part because of, um, for years, because of New York City and the fact that there are people in Connecticut and New Jersey, you know, the tri-state area that practice law in New York, and, but have offices, you know, slight, you know, right over the border and um, wanting, they want to, not have to pay for real estate in New York just to practice law in New York. So that's always been this hotly debated area and increasingly so as the ability to practice law remotely became a thing and virtual law practices were something that people could do. And sometimes people would move across the country because of a spouse's job, for example, but still want to practice law. They'd be licensed in New York and to, New York doesn't have a ton of reciprocity with um, other, I'm not, I'm not even sure if they do have reciprocity. Um, with other jurisdictions. So you have to take the bar to practice in those jurisdictions. And so people have always um, increasingly wanted to not have that office requirement. And, you know, the, the thrust of the article was this idea that now, you know, with, with COVID and everyone being uh, quarantined at home, for lack of a better word, and this, you know, the pause or the shelter in place, everyone's working remotely. And you know, we've all commented on how that has essentially shifted legal tech forward a decade in a matter of months. And so a lot of what you're seeing is all these types of legislation along those lines. And this legislation wants to um, repeal Judiciary Law 470 so that this bricks and mortar requirement will no longer be a thing because practicing law remotely is something that's happening all the time, especially now in the time of COVID. And it's gonna be happening as we go forward. And so this is sort of an antiquated rule that should be repealed and people should be allowed to practice virtually in New York. So I thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, the COVID is already ushering in some changes. And this is one of them that I think was, is long overdue. You know, antiquated, it was enacted in 1909. That's relatively uh, recent for legal, <laughs> uh, for law practice, right? <laughs> Yeah, I was yeah. trying to figure out whether other, I, I know other states have this rule. I was trying to figure out which other states do. I don't think Massachusetts does where I am, but it's, it just makes absolutely no sense anymore. It's, it's crazy that, that yeah. to, to think that anybody, any lawyer should have to physically have a presence uh, anywhere to be able to practice law. And I think functionally, it just doesn't probably happen at all. Nikki, is there any, any pushback still? I'm, I'm just curious. 
Um, well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was. I mean, my <laughs> sense of this is just from that article, but in the yeah, past I, when this has been brought up in the, like I chair the tech committee at our local bar association, in the past when this has come up, there are a few lawyers that are, tend to be very tech savvy that really oppose it because mm -hmm. it, from their mind, it's competition. You know, there are people competing for their clients that don't live here, that aren't local, and that is difficult for them. And understandably so, they don't want that to happen. So there's definitely, there's gotta be pushback. I mean, I can't imagine that just because suddenly coronavirus is here, that everyone's gonna be hunky-dory with that concept. But I think it's long overdue and it's time has come, so we'll see. All right, who wants to go next? I'll, t I'll just jump on that a little <laughs> okay. with that, just because um, I've been, you know, I've been listening to all these National Center for State Courts briefings as much as I can, sometimes on background instead of my music now these days, um, because there are so many <laughs> webinars, I can't keep up with them. So I just have webinars constantly streaming in the background. Um, but one thing that kind of keeps catching my attention and one that I think it was a, one of their webinars on court operations getting um, going back online or how they're adjusting. Um, but several judges mentioned how they're expecting that courts will need to have a much smaller footprint in the future. Um, and I've heard a lot about law offices and the theory and you know speculation about hoteling, um, but I hadn't really considered what that would mean for our large courthouses. And, um, and, it, and it, it, I can't believe I hadn't even thought about it before, but the judges were saying there's no reason we need to have as much space that we have dedicated to court space. The courtrooms, video rooms will be much smaller. The gal you won't need the galleries. So I thought that was really interesting. I wondered what you guys thought. I think that's really, I mean, that, that surprises me because my understanding um, is that although we're all surprised by how well, by how, you know, people have quickly adapted and they're doing the best they can. My understanding is that there's still a huge backlog um, and I think it, it seems to me to be a, be a long time um, before, you know, we've, we've seen that it can work remotely. Obviously remote means in this case, people working from home on their own tech and, you know, um, not, not using online courts. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, do you hear that? I think that then so certainly with certain, you know, a lot of the smaller cases, there's a huge backlog. I'm, I'm not sure. It, 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 it does. It would surprise me if, if in the short term we see any sort of massive, I, I think maybe, you could have an additional remote function as well as the hearings in the court. What is it? I mean, perhaps I'm talking nonsense, but I, I, so, I just get the feeling that it's, there's so many underserved people out there at the moment. Well, so, yeah, so the, I think the difference is kind of what's now and dealing with the backlog and then the future. But even, even now and with backlog, what they're saying is that, you know, they're pretty much identifying, you know, 80 plus percent of cases are not contested. Um, so when you don't have a contested case and you think about what fills a courtroom in a day, which is a docket calendar, and most of those are three minutes in front of a judge and can be handled over a video conference, then you don't need to fill the courtroom um, to deal with hundreds and hundreds of cases a day. Um, so I think they're, they're looking at ways to deal with that backlog for that way, for, um, you know, those routine matters. Um, and, and I was kind of surprised that, you know, these judges, all of them are saying, we're not going back to the old way of doing business because we found these efficiencies. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, now that we know these work really well, you know, definitely we need to improve in many places, 
but you know, but I just, I was stunned because I, I was kind of expecting a lot of people to be ready to go back to, you know, the pre COVID status quo. I was super interested that you brought that up because I, like I mentioned, I'm involved in our local bar and they had a leadership, um, everyone that chairs the committees, like they have a meeting twice a year and they had that meeting earlier this week. And there was um, a Supreme Court judge, which in New York is the trial level judge, not um, in most states, it's the appellate. Why does New York do that? It confuses us all. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> because we like to confuse everyone. and keep. So everyone that only out, people you know? who have offices here can practice. And I took right. the New York bar, <laughs> I still don't get it. But there was a judge there who, um, uh, he chaired some sort of commission, which is why he was on this Zoom meeting. But he said exactly what you said. And I was so surprised to hear this coming out of his mouth because I don't, in, you know, think of the judges that I encounter on a regular basis as being particularly tech, uh, tech savvy is not the word, just willing to adopt tech. You know what I mean? I've never gotten that impression from the vast majority of judges I encounter. I've interviewed a few that are, but most of them don't seem to be. And he was saying, mirrored exactly what you said, you know, that they are, now that everyone's Zooming, as you refer to it, you know, that the the convenience is incredible and things are not going to go back to normal after this. There are all these opportunities for efficiencies. And and I was so surprised. And he said, you know, we're now in practicing in 2030 because of COVID. And, And I was so surprised to hear, and no offense if he sees this, I just was so surprised to hear him saying these things. I was thrilled you know, um, and, but it was exactly what you were saying. Um, And I mean, I think that there must be a bunch of judges talking and they're all convinced of this and convincing each other because it's almost like word for word what you were saying. So, but, but isn't the concern, like my concern would be with the local politicians uh, looking for kickbacks and bloated construction projects. Like what do we do without courthouses to, you know, allow every every corrupt politician to get their name on something. Like, I don't know how that gets solved <laughs> with that. There's always sports stadiums. <laughs> yeah, Pressing I guess that. <laughs> the, one, the one thing I did, I think at one point we were going to talk today about a jury trial that, uh, uh, that was being conducted by Zoom, but this raises sort of a separate separate topic, and maybe we can talk about that next. But there are certain proceedings that should be conducted over Zoom. Uh, as a former litigator and former public defender, I don't think jury, um, you know, voir dire, jury trials, or even hearings where you're cross-examining a cop, for example, on a probable cause hearing. I don't think that should be conducted over Zoom because you need to be there in person and you need to be able to interpret their body um, language and their expressions. And you, uh, there's a lot that's lost over Zoom. And so the, I, there are certain things I definitely don't think should ever be done by Zoom unless it's completely, it, there's no other option. And, uh, and I do also envision that after... Um, COVID, the courtrooms for a long time may be very different. You may have all the jurors sitting where the spectators sit, and you may end up getting a lot more court uh, court proceedings um, video uh, live, you know, streamed live, because you're not going to want all those people in there, but you have to provide public access. And even though they've always resisted that, I think that may become increasingly common, just one more change that's happening. So it'll be interesting to see when this is, when we sort of end up on the other side, what things are going to look like. I do think, you know, 
Oh, sorry. So the, courts, so the courts have been um, set up. It's fascinating when you look at the way they're set up and to be deliberately imposing. You know, you walk in and they're deliberately intimidating and the judge is up here and, you know, and they, that's not an accident. And, and it's all, you know, there's a deliberate construct, which, um, and, you know, I'm very much a fan of, of becoming more remote and online. I think it's long overdue. So I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm hankering after the old fashioned traditions. But, but it'd be interesting. I think, Nikki, you make a really interesting point about, you know, there must be some cases where it's really appropriate to be in the bricks and mortar and then for a lot of cases actually it will improve access to justice if we can do more remote because it means it's more accessible for lots of different reasons but it be but it is interesting sometimes you do need I, I'm a former litigator myself um, and uh, you know sometimes there's no rep, you know no, no way of replicating that experience I think yeah I, you know, I was just go ahead well, I was just going to say that the judges don't dispute that, but they're saying that they're spending for the 83% of the cases or whatever, they're still spending time and taking docket time on a calendar that never materializes or that's wasted. Um, so none of them dispute that there needs to be in person in, in many cases, but this will give them more time to devote to better quality for those cases, less time constraints for the for the others that don't need sure. all this in person. And the other thing that I've been, I found fascinating with this, to your point, Caroline, is that um, many of the judges are saying that children and other witnesses are much more apt to speak and to um, be, be more comfortable in this format. And the, they, they're saying, they're reporting that the witness experience is better. Um, in many types of cases, I guess. Um, and so, and one of the judges in one of the calls I just listened to said that, uh, um, that, that people are showing up more um, on time. They're not having, I, and part, I don't know if it's partly because they're having fewer cases. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've talked before uh, about my new favorite judge is this Judge Schlegel down in Louisiana who does, who sort of jury rigged this whole online court system down there. That's really cool. But one of the points he makes is that uh, there is so much inconvenience to litigants and lawyers in the, in these you know, these, these motion calls or these hearing calls where they, you, you show up at 8.30 in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning, and you might sit there all day waiting for your case to get called. And, and so he, he's got it set up. So they use text messaging and, and video. So, you know, when, you know, you get a text saying in five minutes, your case is going to be called. So, you know, to get online and you could be at home, you could be going about your day. And, you know, if you're a, especially if you're a pro se litigant who may, you know, have to, they might have to arrange childcare, have to figure out, maybe you don't have good transportation to get to the courthouse. Maybe you live 50 miles from the courthouse. You know, it just makes so much more sense to do this. Um, but anyway, so Joe, this kind of ties into the story you were, you were looking at this week too. Yeah. Um, there was a survey that the National Judicial College did of uh, their membership, which is bunches of judges. Uh, and it turned, they, they, they asked the simple question, what platform do you all like? And as it turns out, everyone likes Zoom. Uh, that shouldn't surprise everybody. But what was a little surprising is how dominant Zoom was. Uh, almost 50% of respondents chose Zoom. Everyone else was divided among every other option. Um, I just got sent actually moments ago, somebody <laughs> sent me a picture, like a funny picture of a 
you know, one of those signs outside like a restaurant or whatever with the letters that somebody had put up that said, has anybody checked on Skype? And um, yeah, poor Skype. Remember yeah. when they were a thing? Uh, and now they, they came in second in this poll, but a very, very distant second, something like 20 some odd percent. Uh, just- Sorry, I, I had this- Oh no, actually no, WebEx was second. They, oh, Skype yeah, was even was further. Yeah, Skype was third. So I had a conversation with the CIO um, on camera did an interview um, and I said about Zoom that they, they're a big, big litigant firm um, and um, I said you know we, were there, we've obviously written and talked amongst our, our group as well about the security concerns and I was saying you know what, what what have you said in terms of you know addressing that because obviously some of these court cases are highly sensitive and and he said well that's what the courts are using and I've, I've said to the partners you either do this or we go bust <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the noise. Um, and he was like, you know, he was like, that's what it's because as you say, that's what everybody's using. And he's like, well, I, and also we talked about how you have to assess the risk and actually, you know, it's really got to be a sensible decision making process. And obviously there may be some issues where actually they have to go, this is so super sensitive and, and confidential that we should really can't be doing this on Zoom, although Zoom have improved a lot of their security um, functionality recently with 5.0. But no, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I did wonder when I saw that judges survey, whether the question could also have been put as which video conferencing service have you even heard of? Uh, and if that's part of the reason that Zoom got got so many, uh, so many votes, I mean, everybody's suddenly heard of Zoom. And I think if you start asked a judge to name five video conferencing platforms, they probably couldn't come up with anything more than <laughs> more than Zoom and and Skype. I, I was wondering about I mean, so Skype, uh, I, I, you know, I see Greg Lambert just commented uh, yeah. um, Skype got you know, acquired by Microsoft where yeah. products go to die. But they just yesterday rolled out or this week rolled out a sort of a new, some major improvements to Teams, which is, uh, you could also debate the merits of Teams for a long time. But it seemed to take a lot of the best features of Skype and move them over into Teams. Um, and I think one that could be perhaps valuable for, for lawyers eventually is, if I understood it, it, you can, it, if you're having a video conference like this, you can isolate the different video feeds and pull them out separately and edit them separately and deal with them separately. So if you're actually trying to create an official record of a court hearing, uh, that might be uh, a powerful tool to be able to isolate the different feeds instead of just having this mashup like what we're seeing now uh, and, and be able to work with those. I don't know. Well, to that comment about Microsoft being where good products go to die, which is obviously true, I did note in my, uh, in my reaction to the survey that if you add Skype and Teams together, it was a respectable third place. But, you know, they split, they've split what they, a market that they had a dominant hold over into two different things. They're cannibalizing one for the other, and they, they've just every bad decision you could make as a, and this is beyond just this kind of world. For those of us who talk about tech, every bad decision any tech company can do is what's happened to Skype, basically. Got bought by Microsoft, got split in half, let Microsoft screw up the market hold they had to create their own branded product. Like, and we see this in all sorts of areas, but it's just a microcosm of it. Yeah. I think with Zoom, it's, it's, it's a fascinating case study and of, of where, where user experience, you know, if the, it's, got, it's so simple. And for even 
the most the biggest tech luddite which is in the same conversation with the cio he was talking about a partner that has previously been completely tech averse not and a complete luddite and is now zooming all over the place you know like zooming everybody you can't stop him <laughs> um and um because it's just so easy right so teams has improved you know you can now you can now because at, at one point it was quite limited um I, i'm still going to be honest with you we, we use teams i've written about teams i feel like i'm still getting to grips with teams but but you, you know they've improved it in terms of the number of people that you can include and the number of people that you can conference in but actually zoom it's just you know immediate you can there's it you know you can sort of pretty much involve every within i don't know whether is there a limit but anyway but not it's not any it's not anything that would be bother, bothering you um but and so, what, so you, zoom, you mean yeah i can't think whether there's a limit to the not like it's, it's nothing if you have the free would, account there's a limit to how many minutes. people Oh, no, but in terms of the number 40 of 100 people, and you're not going to warm more than 100 there's people. There's a limit. It's, it's uh, the, the minimum paid account is like 100 people. 100, which is great. Like, you never want. So it's just, it's just you know, it's for sensible conference or, or call. You know, that's just... Yeah, that's this is a webinar account like we're on now, and that's like 500 people you can have on. Right, oh. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, but, so, but anyway, but certainly for a conference call, that, that's yeah. sort of... And, and um, yeah. it's just so just simple, isn't it? It's a bit like, you know, we, you see with... The you know Apple and Google and you know they've just accomplished that level of simplicity, which means that it's just a go-to product. Yeah, Caroline, what's the news from the UK this week? Yes, yeah, so um, so I was going to talk about um, there's um, uh, the new um, so COVID um, is as we've talked about already is acting as an accelerant um, in terms of. Um, Sort of people, people think of people moving towards technology, um, and uh, there's a new venture um, between. I'm just going to just believe. <laughs> I'm just going to complete. So, Law Tech UK Sandbox. Um, so, it's an initiative between Tech Nation, the Law Tech Delivery Panel, and the Ministry of Justice to support digital transformation. And this is not something that's brand new. So, this is something that they've. Um, so, they created a Law Tech Sandbox, which um, emulates something that they've already done very successfully within the financial services sector um, and also they um, have, have launched a, an SME dispute resolution platform um, and an online um, hub and training center so what there's, there's several interesting things about this one um, is that it's very much a, a collaboration so you've got some big heavy participants so you're seeing gov you're seeing the UK government heavily lo looking at the legal tech se sector and saying this is an area where we want to invest and and um, there's some really interesting quotes in terms of um, how much faith they have that investment will help um, spark a sort of recovery in, in a, a wider recovery because obviously legal is very much at the center so um so simon davis um who's the president of the law society said um innovation and technology is a key driver of productivity growth um in legal in the legal sector and the adoption of new technologies could boost the sector from uh, up to from 1.3 percent per year to 2.7 per year percent per year so i'm murdering this um and um, that, that it's, it's, it's sort of looking, it's just the faith that they have that investing in technology is going to have this much further impact. Um, and, and, and there's some really big heavy hitters involved. And certainly I've been looking at the, the um, regulatory sandbox in the uh, financial sector, which enables um, people to um, sort of play, less, much like sandbox, as we all know what a sandbox is, people can come and play around, um, test products, um, reduce time to market, um, identify customers. So it's, it's a really, you know, it's a really big initiative, which a lot of people are excited about. Um, 
uh, yeah. So, what do you think is likely to come out of it? Well, this is the thing, right? So, I think it's, um, I think it gives, I think it's a space for the honest truth. Don't know. Um, a lot of a lot of people are really. It's just like you know, Lupul. We talked about Lupul yeah, last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I was like, I don't actually really understand it yet, but um, it's 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 kind of. I think it will give. I think it will. I think it's almost like a statement of intent as much as anything at the moment. Um, and I think that it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see. I don't know if anybody um, listening in has got any thoughts. I don't know at the moment, but it's, I think it's an, it's, an, it's a statement of intent. It's a massive investment by the government, which if you look at what's happening in Singapore, you know, I mentioned this last week. I think sometimes some, in areas where they're making the most headway, there's government, there's government investment. Um, and this is certainly, um, we're starting to see that. Um, there's the SRA, the Solicitors Regulation Authority is involved, the Law Society is involved. Um, so, you, so you're sort of, where you, I think where you've got that collaboration and creating a sort of space, so investment, um, and this online dispute resolution hub is interesting. So, so Nikki was talking about, um, obviously kicked us off on that topic. So it's, a, it's an alternative um, track, a fast track to, 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 to resolving disputes online. Um, so, so, so that you don't have to go through. So, for certain, for certain, I, I, at the moment, that we're light on detail. But so, it's for you know smaller cases where it's, it's another way of pushing it through, where you don't have to go through the whole full court process, so that you can resolve yeah. debts and that kind of thing. Which obviously we need much more of that because there's you know businesses are spending a fortune recovering money when it's unnecessary. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe next week I can find out. So it only came out yesterday, and to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> this week has been a challenge in terms of having children at home. It's Mental Health Awareness Week. Can I talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not I sure talk, you're qualified. <laughs> can I talk about how this week has gone personally? But so, so next week I'll have a lot more detail. Um, it, right. Maybe, and if I do, I'll report back if there's anything interesting. Yes, but it, but it's Friday. It's it's late Friday at London. So your 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 mental health is probably a lot better right now than it was. It's not uh, been a good week, is all I can say. <laughs> Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk uh, about a story that's uh, not I'm not sure it even qualifies quite as a legal tech story, but a, a cautionary tale anyway about a, 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 a email scam, a, a pretty common email scam, and I, I'm kind of surprised that uh, people are still getting uh, pulled into this because it's it's the one that I think uh, anybody who's who's a lawyer at least gets a lot of these emails saying. Uh, Hi, you know, I'm coming to you from somewhere in Europe and I just happened to pick your name out of a hat and I've got this really great deal and I need to hire a lawyer to help me handle this deal. Uh, and uh, all you got to do is process this check and uh, you can take your fee right out of the check and send me the proceeds and uh, everybody will be good. Um, I think what's interesting about this case is it happened to a, a Massachusetts firm, a Boston firm, it's a pretty prominent firm uh, the the uh, the founder of the firm is you know former president of our state trial lawyers association, our state bar association. Uh, somebody very well known. Uh, some of the lawyers in the firm are very well known. But this this was the scenario where the they they got uh, supposedly a, a client uh, in the Netherlands who wanted to hire this firm to just basically handle the sale of some heavy equipment in the U.S. And they had su supposedly this somebody was going to who was representing the buyer was going to deliver a check. Uh, they get a check by overnight mail. Uh, they deposit the check. 
because it's a, it goes into an IOLTA fund, there's no, the IOLTA funds clear right away in Massachusetts. I don't know if that's true elsewhere, but there's, there's no hold on IOLTA accounts. So the funds are cleared right away. Um, they actually gave the lawyer a separate check for his uh, retainer fee of $3,000. And is it, is it, the lawyer gets an email from the supposed overseas client saying, okay, uh, please uh, wire the funds to these accounts in Cambodia and Hong Kong, uh, even though the seller is supposedly in the Netherlands. Uh, meantime, the, the, the retainer fee check bounces, and that doesn't apparently raise any suspicions whatsoever uh, with the lawyer who instructs his bookkeeper to wire this money over to the Netherlands, I mean, to uh, Hong Kong and Cambodia, uh, they, which they do. Uh, later that night, like around midnight or something, the bank, the bank gets suspicious and notifies the law firm the next morning. They immediately try and retract the transfer of funds, but it's too late. It's already in the hands of whoever picked it up. So the law firm decides they're going to sue the bank for processing this payment and following their instructions. And uh, the Massachusetts Appeals Court this week issued a uh, decision saying, um, sorry, <laughs> you screwed up. If anybody has a responsibility to know the client and, and to per perform some due diligence on the client and the transaction, it's the lawyer, it's not the bank. Uh, and, uh, and you lose. So the bank, the, the law firm is out for, you know, 300 grand that it, uh, that it thought it was uh, sending off to uh, the supposed client. So beware of those emails. They should have banked with one of those banks that has a reputation for, established reputation for ignoring customer requests because <laughs> then they could have had something. By the time, yeah, by the time, what by is the it, time Wells the Fargo bank got around whatever, to doing yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> I think the difficulty is they're, the, the scammers are doing such a good job at coming up with all these variations on a theme. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, they're, 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 I'm constantly hearing about both locally and in articles nationally, but from local attorneys, all these different attempts and different ways to kind of finagle their way in. And they do so many things to make it sort of the social engineering to make it seem believable. And these unsuspecting attorneys who are just practicing a mile a minute because they're so busy are just kind of moving things along and, processing things and they have a lot of pressures and this seems like it falls in their lap that seems super easy which should be the first clue but you know like it i just feel bad it's it's a it's a wild the wild wild west out there when it yeah. comes to scam so, now. so i was um, speaking to somebody about because obviously um pen testing oh is that with you know so, so there's a, obviously that's so important um and there's with covid it's been so much more you know these, these very clever as you said emails um and and they're getting, yeah, they're so easy to fall for. Um, but they, I think that you just have to keep sending them and, and test, you know, testing your firm and just keep like, like the, one of them has been around COVID support. So, so um, I was speaking to one firm where they're sending employees, you know, COVID support, you're entitled to this benefit or whatever, and, and all sorts of, you know, really topical um, emails, but it's, it's just, it's just, you know, a nightmare, not, you know, not, not falling or differentiating right. for us. Yeah. The one thing about this this particular case, I will say that maybe maybe this is sort of in the law firm's defense. I, I googled the name of the supposed client and the name of the supposed company. I mean, the name of the company was like Big Machinery, and I thought, okay, that raises questions. If you Google it, there is a company called Big Machinery in the Netherlands. At least there appears to be. Now, what you can't well, tell is websites. well, that's what the thing. It appears that they created a website because it all dates from around the time the scam was happening. 
Uh, and I even found a newspaper article from some supposed, I mean, again, that could have been made up. It was like a, a, a news article on a, on a website about the CEO of this company. Um, you know, which, so it, I mean, if you just sort of said, okay, this is my due diligence. I'm going to Google this company and you find this stuff. Um, you know, it, it could pretty easily mislead you. So you, you really got to do some, some better checks than that. I mean, it's a, we're only, what is it? Like, we're, we're, we're only a month removed from me learning that there actually are Nigerian princes in the world. <laughs> I did not know that until a month ago. Um, but the NFL draft, a, one of the kids selected is in fact a Nigerian prince. And I was like, oh, wow, I tried to help you get money. Yeah, he, I think he owes me some money, that guy. <laughs> um, we, we've apparently hit a nerve on, on our, <laughs> our mention of uh, 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 Teams and, and uh, Teams versus Zoom. And so there's a lot of, lot of uh, conversation in, in the chat here about that. Yeah, I mean, so, it's um, an interesting talk, yeah. So just picking up um, Greg's point, just to follow up on Zoom, has anyone asked how many firms have blocked their attorneys or staff from using it pre-March? I think it shows products don't necessarily need to be made by lawyers to be useful to lawyers, just in terms of the blocking. So, and I just replied in the chat. So only, so Mishkondorea in the UK has taken the step of banning it um, for, for clients matters um but most of the firms that i've spoken to have not banned it and actually a lot of them are very actively using it um not all of them and actually speaking to gcs i think i might have said this before sorry if i'm repeating myself but gcs say that actually a lot of law, law lawyers still use telephone um but actually i was speaking to um a lot of the really big firms are very actively using zoom what's interesting is this the corporates that have banned it um but yeah, anyway greg so that's so that's um well, I think it's also I mean, what you said earlier about Zoom being an interesting case study. Uh, you know, Zoom did uh, an amazing job, I think, of responding to some of the initial negative uh, reporting about its, its security features. I mean, they basically said, we are going to just put a halt to all, you know, feature development and, and everything else for, for the next month or two while we just focus on um, beefing up the security of our platform and, and making sure our platform is secure. Um, and, and that's where they put all their effort and they, they appear to have done it. You know, if, if I, I, I'm no security expert, I, I haven't tested it, but based on what they continue to be putting out in terms of releases and upgrades to the platform, they've really put a lot of focus on that. I mean, it's they managed to get Zach banned from this. So <laughs> that guy who kept bombing it every week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, yeah they've, anyway, they, for the... their passwords and uh, that, you know, they've improved encryption and they've introduced passwords and waiting rooms and all of that stuff, which should most resolve most of the issues that people were experiencing, unless it's super confidential stuff that. Yeah. The other thing that I, 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 I kind of appreciated about how they, uh, they, they responded is a lot of that stuff, those features were already there, but they weren't defaulted. So, you know, longtime users of Zoom already knew how to use the passwords and the waiting rooms and some of that stuff, but they weren't set when they opened it up for free for everyone and marketed that they didn't reset the defaults for more secure. So, but they didn't complain. They didn't say, well, we've always had this. They just, they just changed it and went move forward instead of spending a lot of time trying to defend themselves. I, I thought that was smart. Yeah. And somebody else has asked asked earlier whether 
it makes a difference whether you're in the United States or, or somewhere else in the world in terms of uh, Skype. They say my friend in Germany says Skype is bigger there and that's what she uses. I mean, Caroline is our representative of the rest of the world. It's <laughs> Zoom, everyone's, everyone's Zoom. Yeah, it's like Eurovision Song Contest. Hello. What about WhatsApp? Um, I mean, a lot of people are just using WhatsApp, right? For, yeah, I mean, true. For, not so not true. I mean, so, but that seems to be more in the so, in social. So we, yeah. I, I, I live in WhatsApp with socially, yeah. but not not really with, I've no, not had anyone suggest a WhatsApp call, um, but plenty of Zooms. Um, there's obviously also there's a bit of Google Hangout um, and go to meetings um, that you know we the, the the awkward thing is switching from one to the other and then, and then obviously trying to adjust your audio still. <laughs> yeah. um, right. But Zoom, no, I mean Zoom is almost inevitably it's a Zoom corner. See, yeah. I found that really interesting. The idea that Skype is more popular there because that tracks with something that at this point has been several years for me, probably like ten years. But when I was in private practice and not doing the writing thing, I represented the United Nations a lot as an entity and everybody there, every communication was some kind of a Skype thing. And at the time, even I was like, you know, you can also just pick up a phone, but they were super Skyped out. And every office, every foreign office you want to talk to, New York, whatever it was, it was all about Skype. So when I saw that comment about Skype's still popular in Germany. I was like, I could see that. I could see it being a holdover of this era where it seemed like internationally Skype was way more important than it was here. Yeah. Well, and just the barriers for making calls with Skype. I mean, that's, you know, why we started using it in journalism is just because it was so much easier to cross borders with, you know, you didn't have to worry about country codes and, you know, all this stuff. You could just connect over Skype and do your interviews and you can record and you can do all these other things that you couldn't do with a regular phone call. Yeah, I haven't tested it recently, but I think the sound quality is still much better on Skype overall than Zoom. I don't, I, I, Zoom is is not quite comparable, but. I think well, right now, sorry. No, you go. Well, I was gonna, you go ahead. I was gonna go slightly off to in a different. Oh no, I was just gonna quickly say that Teams, I think Teams makes a lot of sense, you know, for law firms when they're based in Microsoft, they can leverage their, their Microsoft stack, a lot of them, you know, moving full Office 365. There's a lot of good, really good functionality in Teams. There's, there's concern, um, which we've been talking a lot about recently about how they're making sure that, the, the, that they're provisioning matters to make sure that stuff is not getting stuck in teams that's not linked to matters you know and there's obviously a lot of work being done by vendors in that space to make sure that you know that it, from a security perspective and from a efficiency perspective but I, but anyway yeah that's what I, I, but so i think this and, and firms are talking a lot to me about teams you know there's a, a, an awful lot of focus um in terms of long term well short for, for short term they're, they're looking at teams in a big way um but anyway yeah that's, sorry nikki you carry on I was just going to say that in New York, um, the Office of Court Administration has made Skype business the uh, platform of choice for court um, appearances and whatnot. And it has caused, or there are some people, um, some local lawyers that I've interacted with, one of them is on the tech committee, who are incredibly upset about it because it's so complicated. And they and they're all trying to figure out, do they need a paid um, 365 account? You know, what kind of account do they need? They can never get into it. They can never figure it out. And these are some of, this is a lawyer on the tech committee. So he's actually fairly tech savvy. So he's super frustrated with the uh, Skype for business. And that's what OCA's chosen instead of Zoom. So um, it's, it's some, you know, the Skype for business may, 
it's just not quite as user friendly as Zoom at this point, at least not according to him. <laughs> right. No, it's not. So I haven't taken a look at it. I've just yeah. used regular Skype, but consumer yeah. level. Yeah. So anything else we want to talk about this week? Any other uh, stories uh, getting your attention? Not Joe. He doesn't want to talk about anything. <laughs> no. Uh, anybody else? Last call. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, just take a second to note this other story I did just because to me, this, to me, this is a milestone, which is uh, that this week, uh, Walter Olson uh, announced his retirement from blogging. Uh, Walter was literally, as far as I can tell, the very first legal blogger uh, out there when he started in 1999, writing his blog Overlawyered. Uh, and I think he has written it, you know, almost every day, if not every day, pretty much ever since. I mean, he's, he's been a prolific uh, blogger. I think he's, sli- he's slowed down a little bit over the last couple of years, but 21 years of blogging. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he, he doesn't blog about legal tech. He blogs about other stuff. But it's, it's a legal tech milestone in the sense that uh, in 1999, nobody had any idea what the heck a blog was uh, except a few people. And uh, so... Uh, that's a, a real a real turning point of some kind, I guess. For sure, I, I did want to answer um, uh, your son asked a question. Anyone try Google's new meeting platform? I just did yesterday for um, a work related video. Um, we uh, video conferencing. We have um, this tool that we use to organize coffee chats with people from different offices. Just half hour chats, like it's a remote working way to kind of break the monotony and bring people together. And so there's this tool that just randomly organizes people together four at a time for a coffee chat from different offices. And Google Meet was the default for it. And so we used Google Meet and it was definitely very interesting. It was pretty user-friendly. The only thing that, uh, it wasn't quite as user-friendly as Zoom though. And I had a little bit of difficulty. I wanted to get all the pictures on the screen so that we could take a screenshot because everybody was posting them to this Slack channel about these coffee meetings. and none of us could figure out. And I mean, we had people on the QA, you know, QA engineering team there. There was someone, so you definitely had someone in new tech, even, you know, more than I did. And no one could figure out how to get that, um, get it so that all four pictures were on the screen so that we could take a screenshot. There were three and then the, everybody saw their own picture little. So no matter who took it, it would have been like, they'd be up in the corner little. So it was used pretty user friendly, except that seems like a pretty basic thing you should be able to do and we couldn't figure it out. So that's, that's so my- like- my local schools with that, they, so my kids, they're all their platform is in Google, um, you know, the private version for the school systems. So it's a closed system, um, but they, they eliminated after the initial security issues, they decided that was too risky and they went all to Google and they're doing like all their classrooms, all their open hours, all of that were through Google and the kids, you know, they have different reactions, but I'm in, I'm, it was a good test group for Google to have all these, these school systems using it. So I'll be interested to see if, if they improve it. Yeah, I'm the same, mine's the same. My son, well, I've got one son doing Google Hangouts and one doing Teams and, and um, the Google Hangouts, it's amazing. It's like having cl- classroom at home, you know, and these, that he's pretty self-sufficient. They literally have lessons all day. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible actually. We just got to figure out which one stole your microphone. Yeah, it's the yeah. other one. It's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
yeah i mean there was a question which we maybe we can address next week um from samina talking about how much how much in terms of if big law embraces hoteling shared offices remote working how much of a savings will this be on law firms costs especially with expensive i mean it's going to be a lot right so so firms are we i think we've mentioned this before firms are definitely going to be cutting down i don't have a sense yet of what that will mean exactly in terms of costs I don't think anybody knows yet, but I think there's no question that law firms are going to cut back on their physical footprints going forward. I, I think they've all discovered they just don't need all that space. It just doesn't make sense. And that, that's a that's a huge cost factor. So, Yeah, 100%. I, I learned from a, a bar association meeting that um, a lot of the managing partners of larger firms, someone had been on, on one of those calls, are putting off coming back to the offices through um, June you know, kind of like more enterprise level companies are. Um, and I think that some of, uh, I suspect that some of that, in addition to the liability issues and also not wanting an entire office to get COVID and then they lose half their workforce for weeks on end, like they don't want that to happen. But also I suspect it may also be, um, there's a lot of maneuvering in the background to renegotiate leases, to downsize a little, because they now yeah. have a sense of who can work remotely efficiently. And so it'll be interesting to see. There's so many things I can't wait until this COVID thing's over for so many different reasons, but from a legal tech perspective, I can't wait to see what it looks like on the end, just in the legal industry. But I have to say, so it was it was Mental Awareness Week in the UK this week, and I'm, I was surprised that there were, were weren't more people coming to me with stories or perhaps that's not a bad thing perhaps that means they are actually doing stuff rather than doing it by press release which if that's the case i'm you know all, all for that um but i do think that people like from the people i speak to it's getting very wet wearing for a lot of people trying to sort of you know maintain that you know we're several weeks in and this week particularly for a lot of people for whatever reason seem to be with people with kids at home um, you know, there's sort of obviously we all know there's ro- there's a roller coaster, um, and that sometimes you think you're winning, and sometimes you're definitely losing. You know, but this week I think um, maybe maybe it was because it was mental health awareness, people, and maybe subconsciously people were raising it um, with me personally. But but yeah, I think um, it's going to be. I think I think that there needs to be a lot of efforts. Um, and people are looking after their employees' mental health, but you know, this isn't going to. I don't think we're going to be going back to the office anytime soon. So I think it, that's something that people need to keep focusing on. Yeah, Samina points out to... in a comment that a lot of firms have always used fancy big buildings to impress clients and opposing counsel. Will it be mostly conference rooms and shared offices? I think it'll be virtual backgrounds. They'll have really fancy virtual. <laughs> green screen clients. investment green screen, i was gonna right. say maybe we need to have like a legal tech therapy session one week we can all like have mental health wellness and talk about our kids and <laughs> <laughs> i can't talk about my kid he produces the show yeah right. <laughs> i have to be nice to him it'll be like our little echo chamber there'll be no one listening in but we'll have a great time <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll talk about zach when he's not here yeah All right. Well, uh, I think that's a wrap for this week. Uh, Just a reminder to to anybody listening right now that we are also going to put this out as a, in a podcast version. And uh, we're also going to put the video up on YouTube. It's already, uh, I guess, up on Facebook. Um, And uh, we're going to get it up a little faster this week. We hope than we did last week. It took us a few days. Uh, But uh, appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate all of you guys taking time out uh, at the end of the week to, to do this. Hope you all have a great long weekend. Yeah. yeah likewise. Thanks. Pleasure. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Thanks, and, uh, thanks for having quick Thanks to uh, Ben Ambrogi and Populist Radio for producing the show and getting it all together. Thanks, Ben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks, have a good ben. weekend. See you. Have a good Bye. weekend, Bob. Bye. Bye.